0: everyone welcome back to reality 2.0 i am Catherine druckman today i am talking to three really interesting people one of them is doc searles who you have (laughs) heard from with every episode that we've put out the other is petros katupis who we haven't heard from in a while but you you know he's joined us many many times and the third is jerry mikhalski who is a longtime friend of doc's and a person who has some really interesting thoughts on trust and more importantly facebook <laughs> because i think that's what we're interested in talking about today because facebook's uh, in the news certainly this week and yeah so without much of me babbling i think we yeah. should get into it but i will remind everyone to please visit our website at reality2cast.com that is the number two in the url there you can find lots of things like our newsletter which occasionally goes out weekly, and maybe some interesting t-shirts, you know, all kinds of stuff on our website. Anyway, so Doc, I'll hand it to you so you can yeah. give us a little bit more background.
1: So obviously, you know, Facebook is like making news at all times anyway, and it's, it has become the environment. It's like two point, a, a huge percentage of, of humans on earth are on Facebook one way or another and and this week it made news in two ways one is that it it had a big outage where you know there was a human error apparently but we'll never know exactly because it's a it's a closed black box and that's how those things work that the other is that a whistleblower came forward and testified in front of congress telling us nothing that was new but 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 put a lot of detail on on the kind of things that facebook is doing that are truly icky and so so all of that is sort of push, push things forward. And I was actually on today on a series of and hear- not hearings, just Zoom calls really, but there were academic ones. There was one at Yale. There was another one that had some of my Harvard buds on it. And I, I lose track and they're all about how do we fix Facebook? And they're all about how do we fix Facebook with policy? Cause that's what academics like to do. We need policy here. And, We have a lot of policy already on a lot of stuff and policy isn't always the best thing and it doesn't always work as well as you would like. And too often it protects yesterday from last Thursday and lives with us for another 50 years. We don't even know why it got there in the first place. You know, so, and and we've talked before on the show about, you know, what's wrong with the GDPR. I think the GDPR, for example, is is this very well-intended law, which for most of us has just made using the web a lot less convenient because now we're facing all of these uh, hurdles to just to get onto a website and uh, to to sign somebody's consent notice that has no way, there's no way we can follow up on it and see what, you know, audit it, whatever. Anyway, we're going to try and fix Facebook. And, and so Jerry and I, and this is part of our, we actually have, we have a little gathering of four, four guys, that we call Omotic for old men of the internet club. And <laughs> so I think Jerry's the youngest of us, actually, though. No, they're not. I'm not be. so sure, but. I, you may not be. You may not yeah. be. One of the others might be. I can tell you this. You're all younger than me. So, or I could put it as I like to. I've been young longer than the rest of you. But I, I so anyway, I, I kind of like just go, because I don't think anybody's heard it before. I I really liked Jerry's idea of a fix. Lots of people have okay. We're going to break up Facebook, and you know Dave Weiner, for example, says, "Well, Facebook is actually eight things that I can count." That's him counting, and you know others just you know they want to break up the, its holdings. They want to get uh, cast uh, Oculus over in this direction and Instagram over in that direction. Um, and and I and I'm having trouble imagining the jeweler that's going to break that thing up. Right. Because nobody really understands what's going on inside of it either. I'm not even sure if anybody inside does, including Zuck himself. But Jerry had a pretty a kind of an interesting angle on it. So, Jerry, go ahead, repeat that and then we'll digress in other directions.
2: Sounds good. And just just As background, not on me, but something you just said, some time ago, I realized how big Facebook was, but today I just went and looked at the numbers and the the Google seems to think that Facebook has about 2.9 billion monthly active users. The country of India has 1.38 billion humans in it who are growing quickly enough that they're soon going to surpass China, which has 1.4. And if you add 1.38 to 1.4, you get 2.78, which is a smaller number than 2.9 which means that Facebook is the largest country on earth if you added the two largest actual countries on earth. It's bigger, bigger than the largest two. It's, it's, and that role came over the course of a decade with no granting from anybody, with no nothing. And Facebook knows more about all those citizens than any of those countries do, except maybe for their espionage agencies and their surveillance apparatus. But but Facebook can has collected up and has purview over and hosts more intimate conversations than anybody. So it's like, it's, it's, I I don't think we understand the speed with which this happened and the depths of power that have just landed in the face of, or in the lap of a bunch of people who are kind of self-appointed guardians of something, except I don't think they see themselves as guardians. I think they see themselves as good capitalists, which means in one sense that we're a little bit screwed because we've just walked into their, their, Hotel California. So anyway, so so, so that's just as background because the, the, this sucker is a behemoth and you don't turn this ship on a dime and as we saw from the outage, you know, a, a few friends of mine were like all my communications with India were cut off because everybody in India is using WhatsApp. Never mind Facebook. Just just the, the WhatsApp going down interrupted a whole lot of business and communications going up. So, so it's it's tremendous. So my my proposal to fix Facebook, which will presuppose that Facebook is fixable, which is a, its own interesting conversation, uh, which is similar to a conversation I had yesterday about, is capitalism fixable, or do we have to replace capitalism? which which has caused a friend of mine to have sort of a, a split among his allies and friends. They're like, there's a bunch of people who are like, you're wasting your time trying to fix it. We need to replace it and then there's a bunch of others saying it's fixable so scale down to facebook same sort of question can we fix it and my proposal starts from a quest i've been on for 30 years 30 years ago inspired a little bit doc you you have a you have a hand in the dna here some 30 years ago you sent me john taylor gatto's essay in the in the sun magazine called the six lesson school teacher
1: yeah yeah
2: and it was about the hidden curriculum of schooling and it radicalized me it helped radicalize me because i later met Gatto in in person in New York and met met him a couple of times. And there's a a bunch of other backstory there. But that was the beginning of my realizing that we consumerized education and our whole lives. So so my quest to this point starts with my realizing I don't like the word consumer in the mid-90s when I'm a tech industry trends analyst, which is when I meet Doc back in the day, because his receptionist was one of my colleague's wife. And so my remedy, and I'm taking a long time to get to the remedy, but but I like to build drama. My remedy is as follows. What, What if we forced, and if this was even possible, I'm not sure, what if we forced Zuckerberg to design Facebook or redesign Facebook around citizens instead of consumers? And this started for me as a question, you know, what if... Zuckerberg had had way back in the day when he basically created an app to find hot babes on the, on the Harvard campus. That was the origins of Facebook, right? What if he had actually been trying to develop a platform for citizens? And there's all sorts of interesting implications here because when we're treated as consumers, there's a series of violations of our trust, breaches of trust that we take for granted now. There's the dumpster diving of our data, there's the manipulation of that data to figure out how to make us do stuff we don't necessarily want to do. There's the selling of that data to other parties and doc with your internet identity workshops and VRM and everything else you've done for the last 30 years. You go way, way, way deep into this. And then there's the dropping of messages into our world, you know, splattering our windscreen so that we can barely see the road ahead because somebody wants to sell. So and that's just one set of kind of breaches of trust that happen. When we're treated as mere consumers, and so and and what you want to do with consumers is have them waste more of their time here so the whole dark patterns thing about designing for addiction shows up bright and clear here you would hire people and reward them for getting more people to waste more of their time on the platform all of that stuff spills right out of it and the business model has made zuckerberg one of the four wealthiest humans on the planet depending on whose stock went up or went down and oops Facebook stock went down a little bit this week. It's a bad month to be Zuckerberg, right? But he's still not out of the rank, out of the running, you know, with Elon and Gates and everybody else for wealthiest human on earth. And I don't know where Carlos Slim and the other wealthy people have fallen to, but it, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's somewhere out there. But so my question is, can Facebook can be redesigned for citizens? And I have a bunch of thoughts on citizenship and citizenry and society that I'll save for a second. But uh, I think I've seen the eight lesson school teacher too. Doc is putting in the chat a couple of links, including the the, the original link to the six lesson school teacher. But I've seen a couple of riffs on it later on where there were additions to it. And I will put a link to the hidden curriculum of schooling in my brain, where I've elaborated the idea a whole, a whole big bunch.
1: I, I should add, by the way, that the brain is Jerry's exo-memory uh, that is on online. It's you have like a hundred thousand nodes. No, four hundred eighty thousand. Four hundred eighty. So, so for many years, Jerry has been keeping his outborn memory online through a, a, a piece of software called the brain, which is absolutely remarkable. And he and I both wish was open source, but it's not. But it is exposed and, it, and, and you can travel through it. It has a really wonderful navigation aspect to it. Something that occurred to me as I'm looking at John Taylor Gatto, John Taylor, a little more about Gatto, is that he was the most, pretty sure about this, he was the most awarded teacher in New York State for a period of like 25 years. A job he stumbled into as a substitute teacher, he was actually writing copy for an ad agency or something. Though he grew up in Monongahela, Pennsylvania, in a in a blue-collar town, and, and was an incredibly good writer, too. And um, after 25 years at this, and he got his last award, he quit. And... And he actually wrote a piece that became the six lessons school teacher. That was his speech when he quit. And he said, here's what I actually teach. And this has been summarized. in, like I teach confusion, I teach class position, I teach indifference, emotional dependency, intellectual dependency, my favorite provisional self-esteem and that one can't hide. And the the, the, the notion that you, you know, I mean, indifference is, you know, I, I, I'm ta- I'm I'm studying civics, and all of a sudden it's English, and all of a sudden the next is Jim, and and they're all about the same, and you know, emotional and intellectual dependency. That he said I can tell to within a hundredth of a point a parent what their child is worth with by reducing them into numbers. And an interesting thing to me about this, as we talk about it, is that's sort of in a way what Facebook does. I mean, parts of this are one does have emotional intellectual dependency. I think with. The provisional self-esteem, I think, speaks to the what what this whistleblower, Hagen, I think her name is anyway, said a couple of days ago that you know young young women, preteen girls especially, you know, are uh, uh, compare themselves to these impossibly good-looking females that are are influencers and the rest of it on 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 Instagram, and and so that's there too, but it, what I like about your ideas here, Jer, is that there there is a sort of a, you know this treating people as citizens rather than as consumers or mere users. I mean, it doesn't just elevate them. It's kind of a curative of a sort against a number of these things. It doesn't doesn't solve all of them. It isn't like the instant cure, but it is a different role. It it presumes a different role on the part of these people, and I think it also might make better policy. Right, if somebody wants to make policy on this. These are our citizens we're dealing with. It'll be different by country, right? I mean, in some countries, uh, you have a different model of citizenship than others do. You know, some, you know, like ours is very strong in individualism and, and all that, where others there are social democracies and the rest of it. But there's, but there's an understanding of a role that one has in, in society and in, and in a democracy or in a, in, in a, in a governed context. That's different than simply being a pair of eyeballs, staring at something that gets them engaged, which is what Facebook's really rigged for. And hey, you've got 2.9 billion already. You lose a few when you start you know, treating people right. I mean, what's to lose, right?
2: Um, well, also one thread from here is Barry
1: Lynn, who's done a bunch of really interesting
2: stuff. One of his threads, he can explain very nicely how we turned American citizens into consumers in government. And he can basically point to philosophers who affected economists who affected politicians who affected business people and kind of the whole the whole string down the way to the point where antitrust law got gutted got kind of borked even though Bork didn't make it to the supreme court but got borked because we turned the standard for what antitrust is into like as long as everyday low prices show up we're good that's not antitrust you can be as big as you want as long as consumers get a better deal, right? And it used to be market size, a bunch of other sort of uh, things, but th- those got taken out of antitrust regulation. And so Lena Khan is now in charge of, of refiguring this kind of stuff, which is brilliant because she's like very smart on this. And we have a way, a way to claw back our way to being treated as citizens again, by the policy apparatus and the regulations that have been bought by the companies that have all the power to you know, make these things happen. And this has just been happening all over the place at once. Like like this isn't just one thing or one thread or one, one direction. This is a whole bunch of efforts that kind of build and reinforce each other. And our brains have been eaten by being treated as consumers. And some people think, well, that's a great thing. I'd love to have a convenient consumer life. where I don't have to think about stuff. My only job is to just enjoy things and get some oxytocin hits in my brain and you know dopamine and on on from there
0: do you think it's possible to in incentivize or you know not actively incentivize do you think it's possible that a some an entity like facebook would be incentivized to treat people differently without regulation forcing them to is there any scenario that where you see you know the where you see treating people slightly differently, ultimately benefiting their bottom line they are beholden to their show shareholders and, and whatnot? Do you, do you see any scenario where that's possible, where it's possible for them to step back you know, from, from treating people as consumers?
2: So my provisional answer is no. I'll add that I am an absolute policy amateur. I am not a... a uh, Doc sent me a link earlier today to one of the get-togethers that was happening and I spent two hours just like riveted listening to people who are way smarter than me talk about these kinds of issues in, in different ways. But I will say that the occasional kind of enlightened leadership can actually do a bunch of good stuff here. So Kickstarter, when it started, was a regular Silicon Valley startup. And then over time, somehow they talked their investors into becoming a public benefit corporation and a B Corp. I think. Both of which change the goals that the entity is actually aiming for and gets rewarded for because your, your average C corporation can, can be subjected to lawsuits if you don't suck the profits out of everything you touch because that's kind of how C corps work. You know, there, there can be shareholder lawsuits or investor lawsuits and you are, you, are, you are being held by your trachea to the wall to go drain everything of value that you touch if you're leading one of these entities and you feel that pressure. And and of course you feel that pressure from the people who are your venture backers who want the 50X exit or whatever else it is, because this is gonna be the biggest thing on their resume ever, that they back the Facebook, right? Back in the day. So I think that to do that, you have to start with more principled, more centered humans than Zuckerberg. And, and I don't know that Zuckerberg is easily reformable. I don't know that he's not reformable or convincible or motivatable or shiftable into treating us as humans again. And I think he believes from his denials right now, when Hogan's testimony came out, he wrote this, I don't if you're one of us inside Facebook, you don't even recognize the company she's talking about. And it's like, this is not us, we're not like this. And it's a little bit like Biden saying, this is not America, when in fact, America is incredibly racist. Like you scratch the hood a little bit, America is sexist, racist, all over the place and unabashedly so since Trump got elected, like that just got outed and boiled over into the surface. And it's always been this festering sore under the the skin of America. It's been there since we started because we were founded as a slave state. In the book, uh, The American Slave Coast, the authors make a really nice thesis that the, the American Revolutionary War was actually a successful civil war, because Americans over here were trying to avoid the abolitionists who succeeded in in the UK first, and then we're sort of heading over here, right? So we broke up. We're like, no, 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 we need to protect this peculiar institution. And I, I'm kind of wandering back into history and slavery because these things are not all that different in kind, right? There's, there's a certain sort of sense of dominion and and I guess lack of responsibility or lack of interest or lack of respect that just trickles through the whole entity. And I don't know how to inject dignity and respect back into someone's brain especially if they don't seem to understand how those things get articulated in things like code and policy and strategic plans
0: and it's that's a that's some heavy stuff but you know i my brain sort of connects these these ideas of treating humans as property uh, the human the users of facebook are are commodities and i you know i think if put in a position where you threaten this massive corpus <laughs> of assets, I would expect the people who who hold the purse strings to react similarly to threatening the peculiar institution that you mentioned. And, and that's, I had never made that connection before, and I'm deeply disturbed <laughs> right now. And, huh sorry for ruining everybody's day when you're listening, but, but it's, I think it's a, it's an apt uh, observation and I, I think it's concerning.
2: Um, maybe, we, maybe we can think of Facebook as a peculiar institution as well. Sorry, Petras. No, oh.
3: not a problem. I think the only way change will, the only way we can see or we'll ever see change with Facebook is if Mark steps down, you know, the, the, the fact is, I don't know that he's, you hear stories of Zuckerberg and the stories all seem to carry the same message. And that is, he doesn't know how to be human. He doesn't know how to treat humans like humans. And that being the case, I don't think the mindset, the culture will ever evolve or change from what it is today. And the only way we'll potentially see change is if, you know, someone else is at the helm. And and I'd like to bring up an example, although it's not for the same reasons, but think about it, you know, a decade ago when, when Steve Ballmer eventually stepped down from Microsoft. You know, when he was at the helm, Microsoft was starting to struggle. They were starting to flounder. There was a lot of competition coming in from all sorts of directions, specifically open source in the enterprise. And as soon as he stepped down, They started to restructure uh, the entire company, start to focus on the things that mattered. We're going to focus on cloud. We're going to focus on this. We're going to focus on that. And all it took was just putting somebody else in charge. So it's not that it's impossible for Facebook to change. It's just, I think, in order for it to change, you need to potentially change the leadership. Mm-hmm. Do,
0: do you think that Zuckerberg himself is, is, is unique in that, in that regard to me, it seems like anybody in any position of, you know, with fiduciary, a fiduciary role within Facebook or, you know, in an advisory role or, you know, whatever it is it, they're they are responsible for, as we mentioned earlier, uh, they are, they are beholden to shareholders and investors and, and, and all of these people. And why would any human with that, if, if you or I stepped into, God forbid, a, a prominent role at Facebook, we would be legally obligated to, to act in, in a way that, that is profitable. Right. And, and so it's kind of, to me, I, I, you know, I, I understand a lot of the blame being placed with Zuckerberg himself, but but I kind of have a hard time believing that a, a change in that position would 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 actually affect much at all. I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Well, Zuckerberg, but well, I mean, not only is Facebook an extraordinarily peculiar and special case, as Jerry was saying, it's also unusual in the sense that. Their CEO, their founder, Mark Zuckerberg, who still owns a majority of the shares of the company. He, in that respect, he could do what he pleases, and and he doesn't have the personality of Steve Jobs. See, Steve almost famously was contemptuous of stockholders, of, of shareholders. He he didn't he didn't he went out of his way to say so. I don't care, you know. I'm I'm not all about that. And he he was an artist. He was, and Steve was a special case. I mean, Al, Apple is an extraordinarily peculiar company as well, but. Apple didn't have and may never have two point nine billion users. Now you can you can get more users than you can get customers. Apple has customers; they don't just have users, and that's that's a different kind of kind of thing. But but and I I, I agree. I think Petros actually makes a really good point. I don't think the company, you know, every company has a soul, and the soul is generally the soul of its founder. You know, and that's. I mean, a I, I, I sort of digressive story is I gave, not long after the Clue Train Manifesto came out and I was on a speaking tour, I gave a talk at a, at a, at a retail conference in Lucerne, Switzerland. And, and I gave a talk about how, in my case in, in the talk was that every company has a soul. And I gave the example of, of, of four companies that that embodied the souls of their founders in different ways. And it's like, like Nordstrom. Nordstrom is still, it was a shoe store. It started as a shoe store. It was still a shoe store even after. And the reason it kept big inventory while other stores did just-in-time inventory was because a shoe store needs big inventory. So they had the, the soul of a shoe store. So the next morning, I'm going through the the, the restaurant at the hotel we were staying at. And and this uh, America guy buttonholes me. He's sitting down with his wife. And he says, hey, I saw your talk last night. I, it was really true. I mean, our company totally one of the things i said was you know the questions nobody asks are the ones where everybody knows what the answer would be coming from the dead guy whose portrait is on the wall of the lobby and and he said we got one of those guys and and but i was in a hurry i said yeah we'll, we'll talk later yeah okay so he gave the first talk of the morning his name was Lee Scott and he was the CEO of Walmart, right? So, that, and, and, his, and his old man was Sam Walden. And then afterwards, I, he and I had, he sat down with Joyce and I for lunch. He said, "It might mind if I sit with you? He, yeah, no, I don't mind at all. I had a bunch of questions for him, which I won't go into besides this one. I said, so are there any stores? Are there any retailers who you envy, who you think are better than Walmart at doing what they do? And he says, absolutely, Costco. Costco is great. Costco, he said, they have, talk about their soul. They're really great with their customers. We're not. Um, we're about the lowest prices and not even the lowest. Everyday low prices is what Sam Walton said, right? And we have a giant five and 10 cent store. That's what we do. He said, Costco has is brilliant what they do and how they do it. We can't compete with them. We knocked them off of Sam's club. We can't put them in the same place because they'll kick us. And he had enormous respect for them. And that was a really interesting thing to me. and But the relevance here is that, you know, you cut off the head and the body dies in a way. I don't think, I mean, but I think that Facebook embodies Zuckerberg in, in profound ways. And an irony also of, the, of the, the Social Network movie was that it was about he versus Eduardo and Eduardo wanted to do advertising and Zuckerberg didn't want to do advertising. And Facebook ended up doing advertising and making all of its money from advertising. But I want to go somewhere with that, which is that, and I have the same case about Google. I don't think they need to participate in the entire ad tech complex and and deal with in in, in manipulating people the way that they do with algorithmic nudging of all kinds. They can make lots and lots of money, almost all the money they make right now, just by doing the kind of advertising that their customers buy. I have been told by a number of people inside of Facebook, and they've all promised me numbers and none of them brought me numbers, but their case was most of the money Facebook makes is actually from small business. It's not from the big brands. It's from, it's from the tackle shop. It's from the nail salon. It's from, you know, it's, it's from those guys. And, and I'll I'll tell you a story about my own experience with this. And this is early on, it's like 10 years ago. I was going up to Vermont to pick up my son at camp and uh on Facebook I saw an ad for a for fireworks that were on the route back from up there. So Facebook I guess knew I was going up there, okay? Maybe I said something about it. And and I did not click on the link, but I did later <laughs> look it up and I went to those fireworks that seems relatively harmless to me okay if you're on facebook and you understand that you're bearing your life there they have an advertising model and if and just the ordinary stuff i'm going on a trip i like guitars I'm, i work in radio that's another one for me by the way i've never seen anything for radio but i've post all the time for radio which is weird nothing but then again i probably have it blocked on on facebook but i think you know that that kind of advertising where you're you're the town in 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 new hampshire that wants to get wants to go to facebook and check off who i want people who are traveling i want parents i want i have five or six things that pertain and i'm gonna i'm gonna pay for that and i get advertising for that it's classifieds and it works really well and it doesn't it's different than this the pure surveillance capitalism model, which is we're going to follow you everywhere on the web and the rest of it. If they can find it to their own space where you have clear permission, it's a different thing. And so Jerry's looking at the sky. Nobody could see that because they're listening. But. Oh, good point.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just thinking, There's I mostly agree, except I think there's a bunch of lines that get cross very easily. So right. I want to target people who think they have STDs, and who, you know, name, name your or whatever. I want to target the newly pregnant who haven't told their families yet. You know, the famous, famous stories there. There's a bunch of boundaries where, yeah, I'm in this space and I know somebody's kind of watching from the window. But I don't feel really good about it. And then I've got a couple stories from back in the early 90s of what turned me off the word consumer. And one of them is a guy who, who came to pitch me his startup and he was going to create a gaming website. And then blah, blah, blah. And, and at the end, I remember telling him, wow it sounds like what and, and this sounded new at the time but you're gonna all roll your eyes when i explain this but it's like it sounds like you're gonna build like a big shed invite everybody in to come do stuff and then put snipers up in the corner windows and let them like take pot shots at the people who showed up and he kind of stared at me like sort of dumbfounded like that didn't make any sense to him but that's sort of what he was building he was building a big tractor to bring gamers over he also had this idea that gamers would just show up because he was building a cool community for gamers which it doesn't really happen that way. But, but I started realizing the power of the model and how it was going to kind of eat the world. I don't think I realized how, that it was going to eat the world, but I started realizing I didn't want to be in places like that. Right. And so, so early ads were there's a ship docking at key number two, that's going to have a, you know, a shipload of molasses and ingots and slaves come on down. That that's like some of the first class of some of the first ads, right? That's they sort of looked like that. They were just factual, and then we get all fancy, and we get Mad Men eventually, and we get like the Facebook engine. So, how does the, How do we? How do we respect people's boundaries and privacy somehow? If only somebody had like a customer commons initiative or something like that. <laughs> this is the eternal question. We yeah, ask this
0: understand. question every week. Well, this is, I mean, <laughs> oh, good. Is
2: this persistent?
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah,
1: that's why we're yeah. here, I think. This is why I'm yeah. boring on that topic already, but yeah. But also,
2: if we head into distributed alternatives, I, I don't know how that's going to end up working. But it would be great if we had sovereignty over our own info and if the platform were just spaces we meet up in and talk about, and didn't depend on the sale of our private information to to stay alive, that would be really pretty cool.
1: So here's a thought, and and which is, and this is, okay, let, let's say we go in that direction, or that the world goes in that direction, Facebook goes in that direction, <coughs> where everybody's in charge of their own um, data graph, and and. But Facebook could compete for that or compete in offering services with that that are fully respectful. One of the things that I, I think there are two things that Facebook has done that are extraordinary in addition to the fact that they have a zillion users, and there are a lot of other things that are obviously extraordinary. One thing that's not so obvious is that until Tuesday, (laughs) I guess, they had absolutely remarkable uh, infrastructural sturdiness. I remember, remember early, I mean, Facebook and Twitter were born roughly at the same time in the mid-aughts and what, and, and Twitter was like down all the time. They had to the fail whale. Every time you went there, it seemed like, you know, they had the little whale with birds lifting it out of the water and, and people would gripe about it and Facebook was rock steady. Nothing happened. They Now, partly, they just hired a lot of people away from Google and Google had already done a lot of this stuff and there was a real, in Silicon Valley alone, there was a lot of competition for talent but I hats off to them for keeping that thing up and running as well as they have for as many people as they have all over the world that's one thing the other is it's really easy to do a lot of stuff there you want to start a group there's not an easier way on the world to do it there just isn't it's just it's just a, two minutes you got a group and and you can invite your friends to it They're they're all there already you can invite you can make things happen and that's those things deserve respect. Now, whether or not that would play in the world where they're actually competing for respectful services based on your data graph for your purposes is another question. I mean, that's almost a complete rewrite of what they do, but it might not be in some ways.
3: You know, you say they're, uh, Facebook was rock solid. Didn't feel that way last Monday.
1: No, it did. That was Monday. I said, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. no, no, it didn't. I said like until Tuesday, I actually until Monday. So, yeah. But, but
2: So I tell the story often. I, I, I ask people, do you remember the days of the fail whale? And then I say, take a look at a Twitter screen and then take a look at a Facebook screen. The, the, the Twitter screen is far simpler. There's a lot less going on on a Twitter screen than on any average Facebook screen. And Facebook stayed up like a rock all yeah. the time in those eras and i was i was just mightily impressed whatever you want to say about everything else they were doing but their their engineering squad that was keeping the servers running was doing an, an enormous job as facebook scaled to numbers that were way past twitter like way past twitter yeah, way past twitter and and globally in, a, in, a, in an incredible way so
1: there are a lot of twitter accounts because i remember I, I saw some numbers that you know like twitter's used like like in fact i think dorsey came on and said Hello, everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like Hello, liter- Hello, literally everyone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and used to just skyrocketed all of a sudden because everybody had to go somewhere to say what the hell happened to Facebook. It's very cute. The, the Facebook people were explaining themselves on Twitter. Yeah, and and I should add, by the way, to everybody that the the oh. <laughs> the person the a, a mutual friend who Jerry introduced me to at a party in San Francisco is uh, ev williams who runs who is one of the founders of twitter and runs medium now Um, and uh, i remember i think the last time i actually saw ev in person was at a thing in france and and uh, and we agreed that facebook had jumped the shark (laughs) (laughs) that was not the case (laughs) so it's easy it's easy to easy to miss these things absolutely so Catherine, have we about covered something here? Do We
0: We have covered a lot, I think. We haven't really gotten into the, to really talking about the outage, which I think, I mean, that's almost, a, you know, an aside here at this point, because it's not really, it's not all that related to the, the real impacts of Facebook, but it is kind of, it's kind of a funny tangent, honestly, because we, you know, it, personally, I didn't really notice that it was down because I, you know, I was busy and I work a lot and, you know, I, I, I don't use it as much as, as I used to in the early days, maybe back when it was um, a more stable alternative to Twitter. But, you know, it, I think the impact of something like Facebook going on, down for a day is, is, is greater than I, I can really fathom. And, and, and I think that in, in itself is interesting. I think that it obviously ties in to the ways in which Facebook could be improved as a sort of social institution, But
1: but yeah, it's. I think there's several things worth talking about there. One is, what are the really trivial single points of failure that can happen? Apparently, you know, the, the 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 border gate protocol thing happened there. Somebody did the wrong thing internally. It reminded me a little bit, and maybe some of you remember this when microsoft this is like 15 years ago 20 years ago something like that microsoft neglected to renew their domain name and 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 some guy some dude in kentucky bought it for them and said hey look i got this so you, you can stay up you know and, and and so you know he could have he could have shaken them down and he didn't he just did an act of generosity but i but i think that but that just shows i mean geez you don't renew your domain name you're suddenly things go dark and in, in a similar way you know there there are these almost simple paths that are required in order to make the internet work that facebook there in, the, in this case screwed up internally and then and then they had to shake a whole lot of stuff down to make it work and i, I don't know what that says except that maybe it's good that the internet at, at certain ways is actually that simple that there are these simple protocols that all these big servers and systems that pass packets around between here and there actually work but i you know i but something that is worth mentioning that, that's a separate topic is that an awful lot of people in the world actually use WhatsApp for their phone. And, uh, and if that's not there, that was a really big deal for them. Everybody using OAuth for login with Facebook was screwed. And that's a pretty big deal. If, you know, if you've logged in with Facebook and, and I mean, how many websites say login with Facebook or log in with Google, pick one, you know, and that's, a, what I think
3: is a bigger deal is all the small businesses that rely yeah. on Facebook. Um, it wasn't just a one-hour roundage I mean, we're talking about a good chunk of the day, a good chunk of the actual workday that a lot of I'm, they're not going to get that that time back. A lot of companies, small companies, operate out of Facebook. They communicate with their customers through Messenger out of Facebook, through their, you know, Facebook pages that they establish as a storefront for themselves. Mm -hmm. You have the marketplace on Facebook that they, you know, will sell things out of. So a lot of people, you know, independent, you know, individuals trying to make, you know, a little bit of profit for themselves or trying to, you know, start their company lost a lot of money that day and they're not going to see that money. Facebook's not going to, you know, pay them that money for that time lost. So I, I just, what concerns me is just something like an outage of Facebook for however many hours it was, I forget how many hours it was. It was like six hours or something to that extent impacted those lives. And, and just, just, just the fact that they were so dependent on Facebook is what makes it just as concerning.
0: I read something and just in passing that you know some analysts say it cost zuckerberg personally six billion dollars like a billion dollars an hour or something i, don't I know
3: thought if that, that was, was funny or if that was <laughs> not the case but if it probably
0: was. it seems exaggerated but you know i mean he you know he personally owns a lot of facebook stocks
3: so. sure i also found it funny that in the aftermath i uh, read that even the way that this whole network is, is connected and set up and configured, their entire infrastructure, their own employees could not get in the building to fix the problem. They could not oh, communicate wow. with each other. They had to rely on email over Outlook and text messaging to be
2: able to uh, address this problem. There were a series of cascading events and I'm no technician here, but they, they basically locked themselves out of the building really yeah. badly. Yes, that's, that's what
1: I had right in.
3: Such I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, poke fun, but
1: that's pretty funny. Did somebody throw a chair through a window or something to, to me to get in? No, no. I can't fun. wait to
2: see the dramatization.
1: Like yeah. somebody's going to buy
2: the movie rights of this day and like do some kind of, you know, film, right? But yeah. I mean, part of what the part of what the outage showed us was how dependent we are on it, how ubiquitous it is. How it controls multiple platforms, you know the whole the whole Instagram and WhatsApp cascades, all that kind of stuff. We're like, oh crap! Wow, right? There's, we're, there's a lot of us in here, and we're doing a lot of stuff here. So beyond that, it was human error, which will hopefully not be replicated because I'm sure they're going to double down on making. You know, they already fired to... the person. I'm kidding. That, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that person's, you know, they probably named that day next year after that person uh, inter- <laughs> internally. <laughs>
1: That, that don't be that guy <laughs> whoever that was yeah. uh, move fast and break things yeah 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 that's <laughs> that's like a hammer to one's own head oops <laughs> yeah yeah
2: but so so i don't know what other morals to drive derived from the outage but i am really interested in can we fix facebook like i like, like i think that that's still that's going to be a hot issue for Possibly for the rest of our lifetimes, if Facebook doesn't get supplanted by Friendster reborn and rebranded well, that's as an a... act
1: of revenge. Well, there's an interesting question there, is like you know I you know Joyce likes to say trees do not grow to the sky there and put more fancily by Jeffrey West. You know all companies are closed systems and they all die sooner or later. They all die. And in Silicon Valley, companies, you know, you know rise and fall more rapidly than they do elsewhere now facebook is such a special case because it is so huge and involved in so many lies all at once it's kind of hard to think of them croaking but it's still the way to bet in the long run right things things change and 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 especially when you're as detached in certain ways as 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 as, as, as zuck is now, here here's a subject change, which is, and Jerry, maybe you and I talked about this, maybe not, but I think we did, the metaverse. Okay, so Zuckerberg is, you know, supposedly $40 billion is being invested by Facebook in the metaverse. And the metaverse is their uh, complete environment. You've got your, you know, an example of, okay, here's how Facebook Marketplace is going to work in the metaverse. You're wearing your Oculus headset. You're looking around your room. You're going to match different paint colors. You want to renovate. You want to move the, take out this wall, put a kitchen in over here. You're going to look for the things that fit in there. You're going to, you know, all this data and metadata about your life and the environment you're in. And this melding of your physical and digital worlds will happen. And, uh, and of course, all with help from them. And Apple has a similar thing going on. They don't call it the metaverse, but they're, you know, supposedly in their case, you know, you're going to have your 8K screen on the wall and you're going to have, you know, all of your entertainment and, you know, you're going to have home pods all around the house and your soundscape and your videoscape is all going to kind of mush together in some kind of fancy way. But where Facebook's doing more of the kind of market thing, Apple's doing more of the entertainment movie Hollywood thing. But it doesn't matter. They're both imagining that they're going to mediate your life in some way and we will have a dependency on them. And so I don't like the thought of either one of them doing that. I'm not even sure I like the thought of them spending $40 billion on it. So I'm wondering if you guys have any thoughts about it. I'm happy
2: to start that ball rolling. Uh, So many years ago, Xerox PARC was noted for exchanging money for time. So they bought everybody a megapixel display, a megabyte of memory, and a megabit of connectivity and wired all the desktops together, All each of which was really expensive back in the 70s or early 80s, when, when, whenever this was happening. And they wasted a whole bunch of, of, of goods like that in order to figure out what would it bring us, right? And anybody who was happy back in the days of the command line is looking at us right now with like, mice and windows and like we are wasting we are wasting cycles like nobody's business but in the process we're making this easy enough for a whole bunch of people to use which is great i mean that there's something uh, like i guess i guess that the windows you know the the wimp interface won right and it's we're sort of stuck in it now we're kind of prisoners of it and we're, we we may need to graduate to something else OK, and by the way, the metaverse is a huge waste of technology cycles, everything else. Like I tried an Oculus headset and I had to register the room before doing anything, which meant I had to follow the dot around all the corners of the room, which just took for frickin ever. And it was missing dots. And th- that was just before starting to play uh, you know, a game. And, it didn't, and the game was kind of sucky anyway. And hopefully you're not going to be putting a monster headset on your head for long. These things get smaller, like my, the glasses I'm wearing. Which is a little bit like the, the the glasses that just came out, right? Which are creepy because the little light that says I'm recording you is like as faint as a pixel. And nobody can actually tell they're being surveilled. So there's there's that, and that, and and the, the new glasses are not heads-up displays, they're only recording, right? They don't give you any information. So there's this this whole really complicated thing about stepping into the metaverse. And and then uh, there's like 18 different really lousy, stupid UI things. And then you wind up sitting in a virtual room, kind of trying to navigate around. And I remember being at a Freedom to Connect conference, I think it was, years ago, sitting in the audience, and I was about to have to step out for a conference call. And someone was going to do a demo of a 3D space using the screen. And they were, going to, they were going to do a shared document conferencing. And I typed into our shared chat, I was like, oh, watch, it's going to take five to 10 minutes for this guy just to sort of get into the avatar, move around in front of a document, bring up a document on what pretends to be a, a whiteboard in their screen, and then go do something with it. All of which would be more easily achieved by going to a Google Doc and sitting and sending you a link and just sitting down and staring at the doc. Right, the, mm-hmm. the the moving around in a fake physical space to try to do something like that was just dumb, and that's what the metaverse looks and smells like right now. It's like avatars that aren't actually our faces. And Microsoft Research has done a whole bunch of interesting workarounds where they scan your face and then pro- and then project your scanned face, lip synced to what you're saying right this second, so that as your avatar is walking around this sh- sort of fake shared space, you actually have a face. Because if, if, if we do video conferencing right now, as we're doing, we actually, I can actually see everybody's face, even if your eyes are not looking in my eyes because you're staring at my image instead of at the camera. Right. So all of that stuff really fucks up human interactions. <laughs> and and I, I think that they just don't understand much of any of that. They're not listening to all the people who, you know, our friend Susan Stuckey has been like treading in online spaces and interactions for decades. Knows some of this stuff, there's a bunch of other people who've studied it. And I have this weird little piece of history personally because I've been feeding a mind map for 20, almost 24 years. And in a couple months, it'll be 24 years. And when I step into that little metaverse, which is just my little garden because the tool is not good for collaboration with other people, I'm in this really, really handy information space that I would love to stare at with you all. Instead, I'm stuck here in a rectangle with a chat by our side because we're in Zoom right now right so i can see a metaverse that's more informational more meta than a metaverse that's trying to emulate our physical reality and and make up for for the 50 different gaps that some of which i just described by adding equipment adding cycle wasting cycles doing a whole bunch of other kind of stuff so so i kind of i kind of like a more abstract metaverse which i'm actually trying to develop myself through my open global mind passion project right now and i'm totally not into the virtual reality augmented reality metaverse and however that might work and then i'll put an i'll put a separate pin on this because augmented reality is interesting i had a conversation years ago with a google glass engineer after google had deprecated google glass i went in to talk to him and i was like hey i do this brain thing and it would be really cool to walk around the world where If my device knew where I am and what I'm looking at, it could just layer in all kinds of information. So, hey, here comes Doc walking down the sidewalk. I could see the latest chats. I could see your latest posts on Facebook feed. Who knows what? And we very quickly determined that Google Glass was not going to have the resolution to do that, but that this was an interesting thing to do, to layer things into the physical landscape as we moved around, but then It's got to be small enough, light enough, ubiquitous enough, have lots of battery life so that it's even worth trying. And we're pretty far from that at this point. And I guess there's people working on contact lenses that can project things in front of us, but I don't actually wear contacts and I don't actually want to drop things on my eyes. So I don't know. (laughs) I wear glasses. I'd be willing to wear like light glasses that do this. Anyway, this is like really tangly, complicated space, and I'm not sure that it's going to Um, pay off anytime soon. And I've watched Magic Leap and Oculus and a bucket of companies and enthusiasts uh, try to make a go of it and fail and fail and fail again. And I'm just not sure that Facebook pouring a huge bucket of money over this is going to fix that.
0: Do you worry? in this yes. universe where you I mean oh, yes of course sorry sorry yes yes there it's was a longer room question
2: room. than just you <laughs> <learned>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a very valid answer though but in in this world you know this future world where where the google glasses can actually do those things do you worry based on let's say the the parts of humanity that facebook brings out and and forces us to look at I again well it doesn't force us but it it certainly highlights it if we choose to go there do you worry about a a a world where we're all looking around and finding the worst of each other as a result like you walk down the street and you identify you know who's a really horrible person and and or or, or do you worry about people being misidentified as really terrible people i don't know i worry um, about that scenario
2: i think all those things are not just possible but probable and we're, we're already kind of living in that world the question is how do you prevent that i mean one one way to tame the algorithm somewhat is to like simplify them cut them way back and on Twitter uh, now Twitter tries to drop things in your feed which is their algorithm but generally I tune my Twitter feed because I turn off people I'm following who just have nonsense or start to go off the deep end or whatever then I treat like I get my earliest early warning system is Twitter. I, like the, an earthquake happens someplace, I hear about yeah. it first on Twitter. The Facebook outage, I hear about it first on Twitter, luckily because it wasn't a fail well moment, but still. And so Twitter sort of mostly, except they're trying to be more like Facebook, has this very simple thing of, I'm just getting the stream from people I follow and mm-hmm. that's my feed where where Instagram, especially TikTok, but a bunch of others are like, we're going to figure out how to feed you more like brain-made opiates by, by like shoving stuff towards you and recommending and making sure you go for the shiny object, which is the algorithm culture we've we've sort of lost ourselves in, right? But if you cut away the fancy algorithms and therefore probably get less user like login time, you cut away some of these problems, not all of them, but I think a whole big bunch of them. I think you cut away, the, oh my God, I'm down this death spiral and I'm now a QAnon member because I watched a couple <laughs> videos about vaccines, right? Like that, that's happening. That's like these, these algorithms have become recruitment mechanisms for ISIS and QAnon and the far right and who knows what.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I
3: don't worry about the machines rising up.
2: <laughs> well,
3: I for one Terminator. welcome our new robot Terminator. overlords,
0: okay? Uh, I, I know, just want to be did.
1: clear about that. And, and Petros, you actually work for a serious company, kind of in this area, right? I may not want to talk about it, but I, you're, you're you don't have zero knowledge about this stuff. About which stuff?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like
2: that. I like
0: that. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Good
1: yeah. Good
2: Keep Good moving, folks. Keep moving.
0: <laughs> I'm just glad you're not evil, Petros. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He, he thinks he could, if he could if he wants to be. Yeah, I, well, I, I, Jerry, you, in a far more elaborate way, said pretty much what I think about it. I think which is, oh, cool. the, is that the you know the 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 promise is icky and far exceeds whatever they're going to end up doing with it. Yeah. Now it's
2: I'm like, a person who, when the first mobile phones came out and we started to get color screens on them, I was like, "Who needs a color screen? That's stupid." Mm-hmm. And then, now I'm like. Jesus, really? Like, you know, touch screen, big flat color surface, awesome. So I've missed a couple of these.
0: I didn't um, understand what the iPad was for when it first came out. Like, why would you want a giant iPhone that's not a phone?
1: <laughs> I mean, and who makes phone calls anymore these days? Yeah. yeah. Well, the 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 scam likleys call call me all the time. Uh, I know the, the phone, my
2: phone number, other than being my handle on WhatsApp or whatever, my normal phone number is an annoyance more than anything else these days. Yeah. I have That's to defend it. myself against people who found it and use it, mostly. Kind
3: of me extended car warranties, or
1: what's what are those numbers? What is
2: what is up with the warranty scam? Oh, yeah, mm. so
1: there was a, there was a really good piece somewhere that said, and this is months ago, that said over a billion calls have been made on the car warranty thing. Wow. Yeah, some ridiculous number. And you know, it was on on Planet Money, I think, on on public radio. It was on Planet Money. I have to look it up, but I think you could put it in your brain. <laughs> but it's it's, it's um, a ridiculous number, and and there actually is a business. There's a, there's like one business that's behind this thing, and they've been busted more than once. And they kind of go away, and then they come right back again. The same guy even is like involved in it. It's crazy, something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, you know your your warranty, and you know it's like yeah. I mean, Ooh. I don't I, I don't answer the phone unless it's somebody from somebody I know, or it's from I mean, it's a bad one. You know, you call a doctor's office. Remember doctors still use faxes. That's what mm. how they want to communicate. And I'll get, you know, I'm in Santa Barbara and I'll see an unknown number from Santa Barbara. And I'll think, okay, it might be a doctor, right? You know, and some of the time it is. And one time an Apple store, I mean, it was a number from the local Apple store and I didn't answer it and they left the message because I thought it was a scam. Oh, it was called Scam Likely. And actually they left the message, Scam Likely left the message and it was the Apple store. So it. Would, the that the store was misidentified as a scammer. <laughs> so,
2: I, I just want to reflect for a second that, and I have this moment where I reflect this way every now and then, which is, I'm really happy to be alive over a span of lifetime. Where at one point in undergrad, I had to learn to run a punch card machine to punch decks of cards to do some Fortran. I, I rapidly dropped that course, and I'm not a computer science major but, I, but I, I know how to operate a punch card for like as an amateur, all the way to having a little slab of obtainium in my pocket, and so do all of us. And that allows us to have free maps that do turn by turn because there's satellites in the sky. Like, seriously? Yeah,
0: living seriously? in the future is amazing.
2: And, and, and my first computer was an Apple II Plus, right? With a 40 column uppercase only display on a big CRT uh, and floppy drives. And here we are. And it all happened in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's nuts.
1: I used to think
0: my great grandmother lived in the greatest period of time because when she was born, you know, she, she rode in horse drawn carriages and then later in life she sat in a chair in the sky while it, crossed oceans and went to another continent so uh, you know i thought and she saw the moon You yeah i thought yep. that was the most amazing time period but now i think you might be right i think we might oh, I I,
2: i'm not sure i want to compete with that one because electrification all those kinds of things are, yeah, gigantic, are, are, are also gigantic like turning evenings into daylight is magic because before that it was kerosene or, or whale oil or whatever that was hard candles who has enough candles yeah.
1: so Nobody. i have to tell you about my my grandmother my, my grandmother was born in 1882 Mm-hmm. And died in 1990, so that's 108 years later. She actually died a few days short of that, but she was lucid almost all the whole way. I didn't see her the last couple of years, but she was all there, and she felt that she lived in in that time. She, when she was born in the Bronx, and it, you know lived in a tenement there. She you know there there were there were horses. Her grandfather was you know her, was a carriage maker. Her father was the head of the steel and copper plate engravers union in New York, right? And and was put out of business when all that became mechanized. But, we, you know, she lived t- during a time when, you know, Victorian age, when all the women wore white and and the guys were black. And there was, you know, she saw women get the vote. She saw two two world wars, several more wars beyond that. So all these modern conveniences happen. She just felt that she lived in this... That she was so fortunate to live in these in this enormous span. There there were no recordings when she was born. You know there was no, but there were newspapers. But the newspapers are very different than they are now. But it was just you know she felt she lived in in that time. I personally I feel like I I'm I, I feel very fortunate to live when we've lived too. I just know that we're coming up into a time that's going to be really really interesting and I'm going to miss most of it. But you know. We have, we have we we only punch our ticket for a, you know, for know. At, the, at the most a century and and it all takes longer you
0: well know. you might just miss us destroying ourselves <laughs> well, so that's, i that's, don't
1: know well that's i mean it's, it's something LA, i i mean i'm into geology and and and, uh, and the fact is that you know the the, the rock that uh, you know we see when you walk around northern manhattan is a half billion years old and another half billion years is, it's gone though you know the planet's not working anymore photosynthesis is gone, the sun's too big, it's too hot. You know, it's not going to eat the Earth for another six or seven billion years. But in a half billion years, it's going to heat up. You went up global warming, we're going to get it. It's not going to come that fast. But, you know, the sun's going to get bigger and blow up. This is going to happen. You know? You're giving me second
2: thoughts about uploading my
3: brain into the cloud. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have to, you know,
0: yeah.
1: do any of you believe in Elon Musk going to Mars? Sure, why not?
0: I, I I I I've stopped doubting Elon Musk. I was so skeptical, he, he's a hard you know, doubt. early on. And now I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm sure. If he wants to do it, I, I feel like he's going to figure that out. So.
2: He should be the poster boy of GTD. I just got to say, GTD, uh, is, the, the Getting is, Things Done movement, right? Oh My gosh! Yeah. Oh, like holy crap! Love. Okay, so he's got like the most popular sedan, you know, in the Western yeah. Hemisphere. In how many years? Many. A few. Not that many. Yeah. He's
0: building it, a tunnel under San Antonio.
2: Which is just weird, the, 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 the but yeah. the, the whole boring machine thing makes me a little like scratch my head. I don't quite get that one. But, but, the, but you know, power walls and solar tiles and he is just on top of this thing and all of which are components for civilization on Mars. And I've, I've written that you don't want, I don't want to be on the first thousand spaceships going out to settle any part of, of space because unless we figure out trust, you just don't fly to know that this ends badly. Yeah. And so, so if if he's on one of the first vessels, vehicles that's going to Mars, gonna have a very interesting time, and it's not going to be because something you know some there's a leak in the in the craft. So, I, th- I I think it's going to be really rough.
1: My my caution about Mars is that there's no death there, and there is you need death in order to have life. You have had, a lot of things had to die first. How is like, there no death on Mars? Because nothing's died there that we know of. This left anything that you, you can burn or you know, you could plant some things in it because it's got minerals, but and oh, yeah, you have to,
2: you have to start from scratch. You have to start everything. You have,
1: you, you have to start really at zero. You have to start kind of where earth started, you know, you know, before we had oceans and the rest of it and, and there's no water. So there's no water that's convenient mm-hmm. that, but there's, you know, but this, I mean, this is a really important thing. I mean, we, we, we take, Death for granted, as I look around here, I mean, there's a concrete floor that's made with limestone. Limestone was alive. You know, all the pla- all plastic, all rubber, you know, m- whether it's synthetic or whether it came from trees, asphalt, travertine, uh, you know. Th- um, my, my favorite line from John McPhee, and cut this out, Catherine, if I've said it before, is, is not
0: cutting anything <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, well, it's okay. too good. It's if this too is good. The
1: department of Repetition Department. John McPhee is my favorite nonfiction writer who wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book called Annals of the Former World, which is, you know, really thick book and it's a wonderful book, but he he said it's about geology. And he said, if I had to compress, if by some fiat I was forced to compress this writing to a single statement, it would be this, the summit of Mount Everest is marine limestone. So the, and it's not just Mount Everest. It's like everything in the Himalayas. I mean, going, I mean, there's nothing in any, any place else in the world that compares to the Himalayas. You can't get in most of it. I mean, it's, there's no, it's, it's mountains after mountains after mountains after mountains that dwarf anything else on Earth that's a giant dead zone. You can't even fly over it because the turbulence is constant because you're too close to the summits and you're getting all this, this draft up and down. So they, you know no planes go over it for the most part. And, and it's all, it, it, all seafloor. And the sea floor is like dead life there's a lot of it there and 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 you know we we carve them marble you know all this stuff paint is made with dead stuff if nothing died there what are you going to do wood mm-hmm. you know well by then we're
2: going to have matter compilers so we'll be able to mine <laughs> the, yeah, the only you know, the only way is to, to mine raw minerals and then matter compile them into whatever arrangement of atoms you need and then manufacture you know organic molecules somehow and go from there. But it really is starting from scratch. You're right that the dead stuff is important. And I just wanted to honor my favorite my favorite corporate logo is the Sinclair Dinosaur from the Sinclair gas stations. Mm,
1: Right. Right. Because I was like,
2: talk about truth in advertising.
1: Yeah, I think the 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 mobile flying horse, the flying red horse. Pegasus, (laughs) yeah. Pegasus. So, Catherine, the music is up. We've had yeah, I think
0: it's. This I think it's time great. to play our way off the stage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is,
2: this where, is this where we sing the closing song together? No,
1: we actually have a closing. And oh, we totally should. And we we're should sing and it we're, we're hearing it, it right no now. Worth. If you're listening to this. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
0: if you're still here, and we hope you are, because then you got to hear the good stories. And and you got to experience the the realities of of recording this podcast where sometimes you have to take a break to make sure the lights stay on. (laughs) Exactly. So if you if you're here, thank you for joining us. And thank you to Jerry and Petros for, for weighing in on these big issues.
2: Thank you for the invite. It's been really fun.